So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership, and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. I really hope you're well, and that you feel like you're making some progress towards your 2023 goals. I'm recording this intro to the episode from Heathrow Airport, so apologies up front for the cheesy tunes and any background noise you can hear. I've been invited out to Bangkok to deliver a senior leadership event, so I'm really excited for this whistle-stop tour over the next 48 hours. Earlier in the week, we hosted a webinar for the listeners to the show, and we had hundreds of people register, which was brilliant, and we hit capacity on the Zoom platform. So we had some great questions through and I shared some key insights on some of the big challenges that we're going to be facing in 2023, like personal resilience, leadership skills and how to create a strong culture within our teams. We've got access to the full video recording for you as well. So I'll add that into the show notes for you so that you can watch the full event. For today, I've clipped out one of the early sections on building personal resilience And there's a few key insights from our experts in our digital platform, both from technology and the military. And in this part, um, I'm sharing a section where I talk about a visual around the stress balance. And it looks like a seesaw and it's a great way to frame what goes on in our mind when the pressure rises. I think what we see in uh, the good times, if you like, when we're feeling pretty calm is this balance between the perceived challenge that we think we've got in our working environment and our perceived coping skills. Now, the operative word here is our perception. Two executives could walk into the boardroom with a very, very different view of either the challenge that's ahead of them, you know, presenting to this uh, investor or to this board member, or they've got a very different view of their own coping skills. Maybe they messed up the last speech. Maybe they've Uh, you know, they're not a very good communicator or or whatever it might be. So we get this balance between what we see the challenge as and what we see our coping skills as. Now, in the working environment at the moment, we're very lucky if we see this. But what we're seeing a lot across our corporate clients is this elevation of the perception of the challenge. We're coming through the back end of the pandemic where everyone was on their knees with fatigue, close to burnout. And then lots of clients are saying, well, we've actually seen different consumer patterns, different organizations are organizing themselves differently now. So we're going to have a structural review or we're going to have a product review and develop a new arm to the business. 
And when people are tired and fatigued, we're asking them to be creative and innovative and potentially with less headcount. So we get this increased perception of the challenge. And sometimes we feel like we've got less and less coping skills. So for me on that night in India, this was not just a normal game of cricket, 120,000 people. I'd played my county cricket with a few thousand people watching, or even at Lords, I'd played six times with 25,000 people live on TV. That was okay and manageable, but this was 120,000 people. So it felt like a much bigger challenge. So I escalated and catastrophized that challenge because of my fear of failure ultimately elevated that right-hand side of the equation. And then on the left-hand side, I'd forgotten that I'd played cricket before. I forgot my best shots. I forgot the partnerships that I'd got with other players in the team. And I'd forgotten the successes that I'd had in my previous seasons, which got me picked as an England player. So in these moments of madness, we have this choking response uh, or this clutch response where we basically just try and do something to get back to safety. And it's not a good place. So we can often choke in this moment. So this is really important because on the right hand side, we want to be trying to create a calmer environment where we've got short term goals, positive language. You know, we're not trying to worry about what's going to happen for the next six years. We're going to focus on the next few weeks, the next quarter. And that can give people a more rational view of the challenge that lies ahead and where they're going to focus their energy. On the left hand side, we're looking to go back into people's personal timeline and say, well, you've done brilliantly before at these speeches in public or these board presentations. Remember that last one you did in September. Go back to the evidence in their confidence bank account and go back to their strengths. Well, you're brilliant with the numbers. Remember, when we hand over to you, you're the expert on numbers. This is what your strength is. So don't worry about the other stuff. We'll cover that. So this is where teams help to rebalance this equation by reducing that perceived challenge and boosting the coping skills that people have got. But I'm really interested from a contextual point of view to hear the kind of challenges that you're currently facing. So, again, type into the chat with some of the, you know, how this balance, this equation, you know, relates to you. If you let me know some of the challenges that you're facing, then I'll be able to help. So what kind of challenges are you facing at the moment with your business or from a personal perspective on, on pressure? Encouraging people back to the office, short-term versus long-term decision-making, redefining role, planning for growth of the organization, yeah, retention and recruitment, time for empathy, big projects, new website, new brand and a tired team. <laughs> okay, that sounds, uh, you know, pretty common to be fair. High churn of staff, yeah, okay. Return to the office, big input, cost increases, yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So lots of lots of different elements there that are starting to drive this ch challenge up. We've got to get the new website done. We've got to recruit more people. It's getting harder to hold on to our talent, our coping skills. Well, we've got less budget. We've got less time. All of these things are starting to add to that pressure. So that ability for us to create a calm microclimate is going to be really important here and focus on what's within our control. So that's one of the key elements that um, we've touched on. I'm gonna share with you the audio insights from some of the experts. So remember we've interviewed a hundred uh, people, some of them in sport, we've got um, neuroscientists, military leaders, we've got um, Cirque du Soleil, we've got creativity experts. So I'm gonna give you a cross section today. 
And Rahaf Harfouche, she's got a brilliant job title. She's a digital anthropologist. Uh, and she basically has been studying. She was on Obama's uh, digital team and started to see how he used uh, YouTube and some of these social broadcast platforms to start to share his message. So, so this is where she's in, really interested in the interface between technology and our mindset or our relationships or our culture. And her interview, when you get into the platform, you'll see there's lots of insights that are really fascinating. But for this particular section of the content, I've just taken out this audio clip from an area where she talks about the amount of input we've talked about. I know a lot of people are detoxing at the moment after a heavy festive period. And we're thinking about what we consume. Maybe it's an alcohol reduction or, a, you know, we're going more vegan or whatever it might be, healthy options. Well, this is another perspective on the kind of information that we're taking in and how that's affecting us. This is Rahaf Harfush. One of the biggest ways that technology has really impacted our mindset over the last, I'd say, 18 months is in our is that the fact that this nonstop information ecosystem that we live in was delivering us constant uncertainty. And we have emerging research that shows that our nervous systems as a collective have just been in an intolerable and in, in intolerable state of uncertainty for a long period of time and that we were never meant to be in this type of distress. And I think technology plays a really big role uh, in that because it just is delivering constant information for, to you all of the time. So for me, one of the things that I have done for my mental well-being is to really be very clear and very specific about the type of information that I consume and how it adds value to my life. Because doom scrolling on Twitter for hours on end has a tangible negative impact. There's some very interesting research that's coming out right now around the concept of digital contagion, which means when you read something stressful, your body has a stressful response. When you read something sad, your body has a sad response. That means that what you read, if you're constantly reading horrible news events, if you're looking at um, you know, videos of violence, if you're constantly reading about one horrible event in the world after the other, it is having a tangible impact on your nervous system. And this doesn't mean that we're not informed. This doesn't mean that we don't, we're not aware of what's happening in the world. It just means that we're very controlled in how much of that. And so I think we have to be kind to ourselves. We are in this connected age where the things that we read and engage with have a tangible impact on our emotional and physical well-being. And so we should be empowered to protect ourselves and our families by being very, very clear about what type of stressors we let engage, like we, we engage with, because we're choosing, because of this addiction, we're choosing to spend time on platforms that are adding no tangible value to our lives and that are actually in, in, are acting in detriment to our mental health. So a really interesting insight there where we've got the, the social media platforms and the news platforms are basically paid and they've got psychologists and behavioral scientists that are making the content addictive. They're desperate to get our attention. And what tends to get our attention are these polar views that the world is ending or the world's amazing. Uh, there's nothing really in the middle. So as a result of that, we get a load of trashy content but we also get these sort of alarm systems are currently or constantly in play. So one of the neuroscientists in our library, John Coates, talks about these three key factors of the stress response. Novelty, when new things happen, it gets our attention. When there's uncertainty, that starts to bring the stress response. When is the COVID vaccine rollout going to happen? When are we going back to work? You know, when is the government policy going to happen? When is 
you know, the, the disruption gonna gonna stop, you know. So there's this uncertainty about when things will will come back to normal. And then there's this lack of control. We're, we're a tiny cog in a massive global sort of macroeconomic issues. And we feel like we can't really have any agency over it. So this is a dangerous position to be. And it's because our brain was built for safety, actually. Our brain has got all these amazing systems. The fight and flight response is basically the sympathetic nervous system is there to keep us safe. And where this would have created an elevated heart rate and moved the blood away from our stomach into our muscles to outrun the lion or the saber-toothed tiger, this system is not now saving our lives. It's actually there to protect our self-esteem and our reputation and our pride around our work. So we've got this massive investment in our work. We've got this you know, huge pride in who we are and what we do. We're often welded together. Um, so we we get this um, uncertainty out in the wider world. And we really want to try and create a calm environment so that we've got people being confident, being focused, having this positive uh, reinforcement. And what Rahaf was talking about there was echoed in one of our recent members club uh, events where we interviewed a, a leading um, chief superintendent from the, the police force who was talking about being the first respondent at, you know, murder scenes or car crashes or whatever it might be. And actually, he didn't realize that that was contaminating his mindset, you know, time after time, month after month, this exposure to these very emotionally disturbing scenes. And that eventually caused some kind of burnout and chronic stress with him. And he had to take time off work. And I know we had a, a question in from Jack talking about this uh, and also from the police force about how we actually start to think about the, the, the expectations and the uncertainty outside. And I think what I've learned from the elite performers is they've almost got this inner world and this outer world and they turn the volume down on the outer world and boost the volume on the inner world. So this is their, their sort of advisors, their inner team. That the people that are their loved ones, there may be 10 or 20 or 30 people in this glass bubble, if you like. But then if you're outside of that, you turn the volume down and you care less about their opinion. And I think this comes back to Rahaf's point. You know, if Johnny Redpants 23 has posted something on a social media, you know, platform or a blog, that shouldn't have anywhere near the weighting that somebody who works with us every day has. So that ability to bring this level of control, I think, is one of the key strategies. So where our brain is constantly looking for the things that are out of our control, this could be government policy or the economic recovery. Then we've got this middle band where it's the things we can influence. So this might be our team's priorities or our customers or our supply chain, starting to chat to people and understand what's going on, building that level of trust. Now, the legislation might not have come in, the opportunity to tender might not have come in, but if we've got those relationships and we're starting to build trust and influence across that group, that can only be a good thing. But then really the key to this resilience is understanding that despite not being able to change government policy or what our business is doing strategically or the attrition levels, what I absolutely can control, almost like the CEO of my own performance company is my own mindset, my morning routine before the kids get up or whatever, how much news I'm listening to and, and taking in and consuming, you know, my diet, my mindset, because basically our thoughts and our behaviors and our actions are, are going to 
either help us to become more resilient or we're going to take in more of this outside stress and pressure and that's going to contaminate us and make us weaker. So I really think the first thing that we've got to do is make sure that we're prioritizing our own well-being and being conscious of our own thoughts and making sure that 70% of our time, and this is for you, Jack, as well, to think about with the police force, get everyone to be the CEO of their own performance company, focus on the team culture, influencing people around you, but then just spend 10% of your time wondering about policy or social media comments or whatever all that negativity is. We've got to flip this switch because our brain is actually primed for the opposite, really. So the next insight comes from Lieutenant Colonel Langley Sharp, who I think actually might even be with us on today's session. Um, Langley's been the head of the Centre for Army Leadership at Sandhurst and written a brilliant book, uh, The Habit of Excellence, Lessons from uh, the British Army. Uh, and this is his, his insight about finding this balance. And I was expecting, having seen and heard about his incredible military uh, experiences, that his pressure would have come from that. But it seems like pressure comes from all different walks of life as well. So I guess I've had various experiences of this throughout my career and not always in the most, as you would envisage, in the most extreme environments of, of the battlefield, for example. Because actually, in some ways, that can be a little easier because you've got one sole focus, you've got a higher risk threshold, um, and everyone is working towards one goal. That's all you've got to think about all day long. When you come back to life in barracks, normal life, you've got everything else to worry about. Um, relationships, kids, car breaking down, mortgage to pay, etc., etc. And so I think it's about in, in, in sustaining your energies, as you say, um, consistently and having those habits built in, whether it's eating healthy, eating consistently, definitely doing exercise. And obviously being part of the parachute regiment, we pride ourselves on, on remaining fit. But I think it's absolutely critical for, for your mental health and endurance as much as it is your, your physical. And certainly for me, that's, that's one of my, my outlets. And of course, sleep, which I've, I talk well about, but probably don't do um, as, as well as I should do. And one of the hardest periods that I found to control my energy levels was actually during COVID, like many other people, working from home, we were particularly busy. We were we were pushing the boundaries of the Central Army leadership and trying to grow that and and um, and leveraging the growth of the digital environment. And uh, and we had a small team working really really hard, but we found ourselves working really long days, stuck at home, and we couldn't. And like many people, couldn't di differentiate between home life and work life. And um, and we were pretty drained uh, in a very short period of time. So the ability to get out, to have exercise. To, to, to have balance as well. Um, if, if, you, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna sustain high performance at any level uh, over an enduring period, you've got to have balance. You've got to have balance with your work, you've got to have balance with your social life, you've got to balance with your, uh, your mental and physical um, attributes. Um, but also I think having different, uh, different interests that enable you to, 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 to to sort of balance your, 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 your mental aspect. Um, so you're not just focused purely on work or you're not just focused purely on, on family. Balance is absolutely critical, but it's easy to talk about, hard to do.
So Langley, I know you are on this session and it's great to have you with us. I hope you've improved your sleep since you challenged yourself. So watching yourself back as an expert insight must be an interesting experience. Um, but as you know, head of the paras, I wouldn't have thought that um, coming back to barracks and dealing with the mortgage and the kids and everything would be more stressful than some of the scenes that you've explained. But um, I think we can all relate to that. And you mentioned there about the need for balance. And I think one of the challenges is that when we get into more pressure, we actually become more fragile because we see who we are is what we do. We see that we are our job. So you mentioned there that you're under more strain, more pressure to deliver for your organization. And actually, we narrow down all the other things that bring us perspective and balance. And we focus on the only place where we get measured and valued and salaried against our performance. So we don't get measured as a, a father or a daughter or a sister, um, you know, or a husband or whatever it might be. We get measured in our work. There are league tables, there are salaries, there are rungs on the ladder. So we tend to over invest in our work identity. And basically, if, if we get a setback within our work, all of me fails. That's what happens. So that's why we take it so personally. We get such a high stress response when to the uncertainty. So it's a recipe for disaster, really. Whereas if we do see ourselves as having this more balanced portfolio, this isn't where I spend my time necessarily, although obviously this, this could be part of it. But if we say, yes, my work is a massive part of my life and I take great pride from it and I'm a vital part of the team, that's fine. But I'm also a son. I'm also a father. I'm also, you know, run my local sports club and I'm also a, a mentor at work. And I see myself as having value in those places, that means that I focus on it more. So that if something happens at work and we get that late night email or there's a setback, I can still be a good person. Whereas the problem is when we just have our work, we get really exposed. So um, I think this is almost like sticking all of your money into the most, uh, this one on this side is sticking all of your life investments into the ha uh, raciest hedge fund, uh, NFTs and whatever else. Uh, and it's particularly volatile, whereas here we've got a much more, you know, diversified portfolio. If one area of our life fails, then we can still take value from the rest. And I know as a cricketer, when I wasn't playing particularly well, I always got great confidence back from helping the youngsters and being a mentor. So I could use those other identities to, to give myself some more stability. So I think that's another strategy there i know we were david was asking about uh, uncertainty and pressure so hopefully that's a, a couple of good strategies there for you and there was also a dedicated podcast episode recently on uncertainty so there were two angles there one was trying to control things more and predict and model and pressure test yourself ready for all these eventualities and then the other side of it is to actually relax and trust yourself that you will find a way to be successful with all the options that you've got and, and unlocking some of the things in your team. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, preview of the main event. Make sure you click onto the show notes and watch the whole event for free. There's some brilliant discussion and debate in there and some great questions also coming from our high profile guests at the end. So I'll jump onto my flight and I hope you have a brilliant day wherever you're tuning in from. Remember to drop me a note through to hello at sportingedge.com if you need any content or support to inspire your organisation this year. Good luck and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. 
Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. 